some questions that you might be able to ask are, how am I feeling right now? Do I enjoy the way that I'm feeling? Does this feel nourishing or does this feel more depleting? How do I know? So your body cues too, right? Our bodies give us a lot of information about what we're feeling. Welcome to How Do You Feel, a podcast with info and inspo to help you tune in to your fitness, nutrition, and mindset. I'm your host, Casey Zavaleta, and together we'll explore how we can optimize our physical and mental health so that we radiate positivity and happiness from the inside out. Hello, everybody. Welcome to the How Do You Feel podcast. I hope everyone had an awesome weekend. My weekend was filled with playing cards, reality TV, cocktail making, and a little bit of baking, which is different for me. Overall, it was a really nice and restorative weekend, and I hope that you had the same. As always at this time of year, the weather is a little bit too cold for my liking, but I'm very hopeful that it will turn warmer soon and we will all get to spend even more time outside. We are officially into year two of the How Do You Feel podcast. And in honor of that, I decided to open another channel for you guys to access the podcast content. So I started a YouTube channel with my favorite video clips of guests from the podcast episodes. It's a really fun way to see the guests in person and both watch and listen to my favorite clips from each podcast episode. If you want to go check those out, you can search my name, Casey Zavaleta, and find my new YouTube channel. This week, I have an awesome episode to share with you guys. Mental health is an area of wellness that I care so much about because as a trainer, I feel that my profession addresses physical health very well, but that's not the whole picture. Physical and mental health really do go hand in hand, and I'm so passionate about incorporating both and being aware of both in your life. So I was really excited to have Rebecca Barrett Wallace on the podcast. She has a master's in counseling psychology from the University of British Columbia. She's a registered psychotherapist and a member of the Canadian Counseling and Psychotherapy Association. Rebecca works in the clinical setting as a psychotherapist and her therapeutic skills lie in working with individuals from very diverse backgrounds, experiencing stress and anxiety, mood issues, family and relationship concerns, lack of direction or life indecisions, self-esteem, body image issues, disordered eating, perfectionism, and emotional or physical fatigue. Rebecca and I had the unique opportunity to talk about our mental wellness in the time of COVID-19. I think during such an unsettling time with a worldwide pandemic that addressing and thinking about our mental health is probably even more important than thinking about things like fitness and nutrition right now. So I was really excited to get the chance to talk to Rebecca and she had so many awesome insights and I can't wait for you guys to hear them as well. So here's my conversation with Rebecca Barrett Wallace. Hi, Rebecca. Welcome to the How Do You Feel podcast. I'm so excited to talk with you this morning. Thanks. Me too. Before we launch into these questions that I have for you, can you just briefly introduce yourself and tell us a little bit about your perspective as we enter this conversation? 
Yeah, absolutely. Thank you for the introduction. I am Rebecca. I'm a registered psychotherapist and a clinical counselor um, in private practice in downtown Toronto. And today, one of the most important things that I wanted to say, just kind of even before we get started, is how important it is for me to acknowledge that whenever we're talking about, you know, human experience in these collective terms, you know, today we're going to be talking about human experience with COVID and with, you know, the effects of what's going on in the world right now. There is a risk, you know, in minimizing sometimes or overlooking someone or some group. And this can be really harmful. In fact, it can actually even act to sort of further marginalize already marginalized groups or communities. And so for me in my work, um, but I think, you know, this is something that everyone can consider right now, is just the importance of context, right? Suggesting that we're all you know, feeling something really similar is ridiculous. Yes, it's a shared experience of the fact that we're in a pandemic, but to say that we're sharing in the effects of this is kind of risky. So I did want to just position myself uh, beyond the fact that I'm a psychotherapist to say that I am, I identify as female, I'm white, cisgender, I have no health concerns. Um, so I really recognize my privilege in all of this. You know, I'm able to still work from home and make money during this time. I live with a stable partner in safe and secure housing, and that is not uh, the situation for a lot of people right now. I will make every effort not to generalize today. Um, I'm not an expert in these things. These are just my opinions. They are my opinions based on, you know, what I'm seeing in my clients, what I'm seeing in my friends, and what I'm seeing in my family. And so hopefully that just kind of give something to the listeners. Awesome. I think that's such an important thing to do. I'm really glad that you positioned yourself for us because I think it's something that we don't do enough. We yeah. sort of assume that our perspective is everyone's perspective. We're very, it's very easy to do that in our minds and just assume, well, if I'm feeling this way and the people around me are feeling this way, then everyone must be when that's not true at all, right? And we need to acknowledge the vast differences that exist in our world and our society. So I'm glad you exactly. did that. Thank you. Yeah. You're welcome. Okay, let's launch in. How do you feel about virtual therapy? Okay, so I have to say my relationship to virtual therapy has ebbed and flowed in these past few weeks. Um, I actually feel somewhat embarrassed to say that before all of this happened, I did not offer virtual therapy. It's become really obvious to me, though, that that it's so important that therapists do this for accessibility reasons. So a lot of what I do relies for me at least on energy exchange, right? Like how do I feel in the presence of this person today? How, how is their energy giving off, you know, some cues for me as to what we might be able to do in, in therapy. And you don't have that over video, at least you don't have it as much. So that's been a real challenge for me. I'm starting to adapt though. I think as many people are noticing, like we humans, we adapt quickly and I've come up with some solutions, you know, like I hide the image of myself when I'm talking to clients. That's really helped me to kind of attune back to them. <laughs> I'm just noticing day by day that it is getting easier. And in fact, it is something that I'm going to make sure to continue to offer post, you know, when we all get to go back to kind of our regular lives. Right. <laughs> um, yeah, I've, I've recognized the importance in it now. Cool. Yeah, I've had a similar experience in online training. 
before I didn't offer any kind of online services. All Day Fit didn't offer online services. Yeah. And because of this, we've had to. And I think what we've realized is we felt like we were full, like as far as clients go. Yeah. And we really valued that in-person connection that you're talking about. And, you know, there's nothing that can replace that exchange that you can have with someone while you're in the same room. Exactly. But it doesn't mean that virtual services don't have their place and they can't still be very valuable for people. So I've learned a very similar thing in the past couple yeah. of weeks. Nice. I have a lot of clients and friends that I've been talking to that are feeling very positive and very good about their quarantine life one week. Mm -hmm. And then the mm -hmm. next week, it's like the opposite, right? And it's so hard and they feel so weighed down by it. It just feels like there are a lot of ups and downs for people right now. Can you help us understand why in these times of such uncertainty, that's actually very normal? Totally. I love this question. I actually, in giving kind of an anecdote from my own life and from how I've been experiencing this, um, the other day I came across, I can't remember where, but I came across this image and it was a sad face, like a drawn sad face and a happy face. And they were overlapping in the shape of a Venn diagram. And I had this sort of reaction of like, yeah, that's it. That's how I've been feeling. And I have heard, you know, that other people are experiencing something similar. So this is my opinion on this. I think that whether we really realized it before or not, for a lot of us, our life pre-COVID or however you want to call it, it held a lot of structure, right? It held predictability, um, more transitions. So from things like work to home, home to school, these types of things, we had greater physical freedom. We didn't have to think twice before we left our home, you know. We had a broader and more flexible relationship, I think, to space. So like we could move more freely between spaces, but also time, you know, we maybe could conceptualize better how long things were going to last when the workday was over, these types of things. Mm -hmm. We also assumed a whole lot more definitive roles. So when we were at work, we were employee perhaps, or we were practitioner in my case. When we're home, perhaps we're partner or we're mother. And now what we're finding and what I'm hearing increasingly is that people are having to double up, triple up on these roles at one time. Um, and this can be really hard. In a lot of ways, I think that at least for most people, we didn't recognize necessarily how well-crafted this system was um, in our lives to help us feel grounded, to help us feel supported and safe, and maybe even, right, to help us kind of quiet or silence those difficult thoughts, feelings, emotions. And now we're really being asked, I think, like required in a lot of ways to sit in the silence of, you know, even our own minds. I read something recently. It was from the Harvard Business Review, actually, by an author, uh, Scott Barinato. I could be saying that last name wrong, um, on collective grief. And I really loved this because I think that it is so important to recognize that what a lot of us are suffering from right now is a kind of collective loss that's not totally unlike grief. And if we know anything about grief, it's that it can be really unpredictable and it can be really undulating, right? Like it can move kind of like waves in the ocean. And the other thing that he noted in this article was that we're also experiencing anticipatory grief. So 
we are anticipating things that we can't do anymore. We can't go home for Easter, perhaps, if that's something you celebrate. We can't plan for an upcoming vacation, you know, but even more than that, we may be also suffering with the anticipation of someone that we know being deeply affected by COVID, right? Maybe that we're anticipating a loss of somebody or of someone. Mm -hmm. So to like really kind of more closely come to answering that question, I think one of the key things to remember is that emotions don't exist in bubbles. You know, they don't know boundaries. We can actually feel what are seemingly opposing emotions at the same time. It's called emotional complexity. So, you know, one thing that I like to say to people is think about the fact that we cry when we're both sad and happy. And <laughs> this is kind of exactly like her emotions, right? Just like our body's reaction in that way. Um, our mind can also not know the difference between two emotions, or it knows the difference perhaps, but it can actually have them existing at the same time. Just like we don't exist in a bubble, although you might sort of feel like you do at the moment. <laughs> um, a literal bubble yeah, right now? Yeah. Exactly. But, you know, regularly we don't exist in a bubble and so neither do our emotions. You know, we might just be hyper aware of it right now because things are so unfamiliar to us. Yeah. So key. I think that it's so important to realize that you can be feeling a whole range of things all at the same time. So when someone's asking, how are you feeling in quarantine? It's like, holy crap, there's so many positive things that run through my mind and simultaneously so many struggles that I'm having. And it it can be very hard to sort of rationalize those for yourself. So, and I don't know. And in some ways, maybe like even trigger some guilt. Like I felt this, you know, feeling like I should be like grieving for the world a little bit or grieving for the people that are in really challenging scenarios. But then there are some things about my quarantine life that I'm loving and that Mm -hmm. are really, you know, I'm thriving in. So Mm -hmm. being okay with also feeling those positive emotions, I think is also very important. Just telling yourself that's okay. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah. Especially because a lot of people are working less, there's a lot of pressure to fill that time, that extra time that we have with productive things. So whether it's free online courses or webinars or diving into that new project, whether it's at home or in work or whatever, fitness, nutrition, like we just feel like we should be doing something with all of this time. Mm -hmm. Why is it so important for people to be compassionate with themselves if they're not feeling particularly motivated to be doing all the things right now? Totally. I love this question because compassion is so key right now, both self-compassion, but also compassion for others. When it comes to this kind of topic of productivity, right? I'm hearing this all the time. I'm hearing it both from people who are working less, yeah, but also from people who are finding themselves in situations of working more because that's happening as well. Um, And or doing their regular job, but having to get used to doing things virtually, right? And this can take up a lot of time in our lives it can take up a lot of a lot of our energy as well not to mention the already existing energy suck that is this pandemic and that is the stress of this pandemic Mm -hmm. so when it comes to this i actually made a joke the other day to my own therapist (laughs) and i said um i'm noticing that like i'm falling somewhere between between these two juxtaposed camps on the one hand there's these people who seem to be finding time to like bake sourdough bread and write their manifestos almost. Then there's this other camp of people who are really promoting extreme rest, right? And slowing down. 
I love both. And I don't actually think there's, you know, a right or a wrong way. In fact, I know there's no right or wrong way to respond mm -hmm. right now. I do think though that examining our thoughts around these activities or our responses to what we're seeing online, for instance, is really important. So if, for instance, you're noticing yourself judging your productivity against that of someone else's, if you're noticing that you're saying to yourself, oh, well, they did that thing today, why couldn't I? Mm -hmm. It was, wouldn't surprise me in the slightest if that is contributing to you feeling like you've kind of failed in some way. But one of the major things that I tell clients is that when we take only what we see people displaying in the world, right, or to the world, we're only seeing one version of their day. The problem is, though, that this has its way of kind of infiltrating us to believe that, oh, everyone is doing all of these things all day long. But this just isn't true, right? Just because you saw one person making some, you know, fancy dinner and another person running 10 kilometers and another person, you know, maybe creating some like beautiful sign with their kid of like, thank you, frontline workers. That doesn't mean that each of those people did all of those things in one day. And so you, you know, you can't either. You're doing what you can and you're adapting. And again, like you're adapting in a state of, you know, probably increased fatigue related to the stress of what's going on in the world. But we have to realize that stress, stress sucks energy. It doesn't have to be a thing that you're doing. It's a state that you're feeling in your body, right? Like that actually is a physiological state that takes up energy from your body. So we have to realize that and, and be okay with it. That's exactly it, Casey. Yeah. I saw this meme the other day that I just absolutely loved. And if I could like share it with the world, <laughs> I would. So I'm going to say it on here. What it said is you are not working from home. You are at home during a crisis trying to work. And this is a distinction that applies to all of these other things too, right? It's exactly what you were just saying. Like we can't expect the same of ourselves that we did before this because of this added pressure and added mm -hmm. stress. And so to kind of answer this question, right, or to kind of get to like the, what could we do for ourselves then? Um, one of the things that I like to ask myself is what usually motivates me? And you know, the answer is unlikely to be like, oh, I know, excessive amounts of time to think. Or, <laughs> you know, oh, what really motivates me is being stuck indoors all day. You know, like this isn't true. It's probably, it's unlikely. So, you know, really easing up on yourself. Um, what we know is that being in a state of flow or a state that kind of incorporates equally both challenge and the use of your strengths this requires a certain degree of like mental and physical ease. And I don't mean easy. I just mean calmness, right? Ease. Mm -hmm. And we don't have a lot of ease right now. We have lots to worry about for some job security, finances, right? Our loved ones getting sick, keeping our children safe, keeping ourselves safe, all of these things and more. And self-compassion in the face of worry and uncertainty is crucial. So I have two strategies on helping to kind of increase self-compassion. So one of them is, I like to say, imagine that you are speaking to yourself as you would a child. It's highly unlikely that you would say something like, oh, you've really failed today, you know, <laughs> um, or can't believe you didn't get that thing done that you said you were going to do. No, it's a whole lot more likely that you would say something along the lines of like, hey, you know what? It's okay. You really needed that rest today. If you can do it tomorrow, great. But also if you can't, that's fine too. You know, let's just chill out together, mm -hmm. whatever it might be, right? 
The other thing that you might want to do is imagine someone who you know deeply cares about you to imagine that they were responding to you in that moment. So the experience actually of imagining receiving care from others can actually prime circuits in our brain to be more likely to give care as well. And that's to ourselves, but also to other people, which I think is ultimately a lot of what we need more of right now. Yeah, for sure. I totally agree. I want to loop back around to one thing that you said, because I think that it's so important in every aspect of life. The comparison game is very dangerous. It almost always involves us making assumptions about what we think is really happening with that other person's life, right? So just like you're saying, where you don't know the whole picture, you don't know what their whole day looked like, you got a snapshot of it. That's beautiful and that's great. And you can experience that, you know, through a screen on social media or, you know, on the phone with them telling you about it. That's lovely. But once you compare yourself to that, you're trying to stack yourself up against you don't know the whole picture. Like you don't even know what you're really stacking yourself up against. And that can be very dangerous. So and something we have to be really, really careful of right now. I think also because our consumption of social media is that much higher right now, because that's kind of our way to connect, right? Mm -hmm. Like I'm finding that most people are using social media even more and we have to be really careful as we, as we do that, how we're consuming. Absolutely. Absolutely. Yeah. As we're trying to decide what activities we are going to put our time into, how do you help people set boundaries and decide what things are actually serving them and are good for them versus might be detrimental? You know what? Boundary setting is a tricky topic, but mainly only because it's so personal, right? Right. As I was thinking about this question earlier, I was thinking a little bit about where I first learned about boundaries. And I had this sudden memory of being in elementary school and being taught about physical boundaries where we were standing in a gym and there was, you know, one of our classmates across from us and they would slowly walk closer and closer to us until we could feel in our bodies that our boundaries were being crossed. And we were then taught to say, stop. And this is an interesting, I think, kind of almost like metaphorical representation of how we might actually be able to conceptualize our own boundaries. I like to think of boundaries as like almost this invisible shield that can move closer or farther from you, depending on your your comfort level ultimately, right? But also your state of mind that day, that hour, your energy, all sorts of things, right? Ultimately, boundaries give us a sense of agency over our physical space, our body, and our feelings. But we all have limits. Um, And it wouldn't surprise me in the slightest if these limits were showing themselves in new ways right now. We're living in a new situation, so this makes sense. You may have been really good at knowing your boundaries before, but that might not be so true anymore if things are unpredictable. And we're now navigating this whole new way of life. And you know, for that reason, maybe something that you thought wouldn't cross your boundary before suddenly is, and that's Mm. okay. So I have a number of suggestions on how to maybe know if, you know, your boundaries are being crossed right now, and then also in how to work with that, you know, what do we do with that knowledge? So one of the things that I like to do is when you're doing an activity, either during or after the activity, check in with yourself. Some questions that you might be able to ask are, how am I feeling right now? 
do I enjoy the way that I'm feeling? Does this feel nourishing or does this feel more depleting? How do I know? So your body cues too, right? Our bodies give us a lot of information about what we're feeling. Maybe you feel tenseness. Okay, that's probably a cue to you that this isn't serving you very much. It's not as obvious, right, as like a huge sign with no trespassing on it. I wish sometimes that it were. <laughs> but it's really important to look at your boundaries, both how you set them for yourself, but also how you set them with others. So some of the things that I like to say are recall repeated patterns. If something didn't feel great the first time, you know, okay, so as long as it wasn't unsafe, you could always try it again. But, you know, if it didn't feel good the first time, that may be an indication that it's not going to feel so good the second being honest, being honest with others. You know, I even had the experience the other day where I had to explain to my own family members that after a day for me of seeing clients over video, it felt actually like an increasing pressure for me to then have to schedule time to talk to them over FaceTime. Mm -hmm. And it's not that I don't want to talk to them generally. And this is a temporary, perhaps even state, right? This is a boundary that I'm creating for right now. Mm -hmm. However, you know, it's something that I needed. It was really causing me a great deal of added pressure and stress in my day. You might be surprised by how understanding people can be. The one other thing I'd suggest is that you can even write down a list of sort of the warning signs of how do you know when you might be getting close to having a boundary being crossed. Perhaps you're familiar with this feeling of tenseness. Perhaps you're familiar with a feeling of franticness or something like that, right? These might be signs. And if you have a list, then you can kind of witness that first and then decide what you want to do with that knowledge. Cool. I love that. Our body can provide us such awesome evidence for how we're feeling and what's going on if we take a second and listen, right? And try to dial into what it is that it's saying and it, the signals that it's sending us. So I love that. Exactly. I also love how you're talking about how boundaries can be so flexible because that's so true. One week it's too much and then the next week is not and, and that's okay. But the key, I think, of what you said is that the communication piece, telling people and bringing them along for that ride, it just creates a much better um, shared feeling. I think right now I'm very afraid to say no to things. For example, like say no to group FaceTime calls or, you know, checking in with people and all of these things, because it's kind of like, well, what else are you doing? Right? Like, I feel like that's what someone else is thinking. What else are you doing right now? You're just sitting at home. Mm -hmm. But in reality, that's still pressure and it's still like something I have to show up for in a certain way with a certain energy. But the difference between just saying, no, I can't do it versus, you know what? I'm feeling really drained right now. I don't think I'm up for it. But once I am, I'd love to reschedule with you. Like those two things are worlds apart, right? Exactly. Yeah. One word that keeps coming to mind for me is this newfound fear of scarcity. You know, whether it's job uncertainty or just being unsure if, you know, what you're looking for in the grocery store is going to be there. I think that a lot of people, and again, this could be me generalizing, but this is sort of how I'm feeling. Mm -hmm. I think that a lot of people that are used to coming from a place of privilege and of mm -hmm. abundance now for the very first time have an imposed fear of scarcity and like, will my job be there? Will those things that I go to the store and I expect to be there be there and able for me to consume. How would you help someone manage the fear and anxiety that's, that comes with this newfound fear of, of scarcity? 
absolutely. You know, scarcity and the feelings and behaviors that can go along with that. So these things that we're seeing more of right now, like hoarding, uh, but also like anxiety, right, discomfort, they are going to be more present now than probably ever before. You know, I like to think of these behaviors as a protective response to a perceived lack of control. So what I mean by that is if we're being made to think maybe through the media or something that we may at some point soon not be able to get any toilet paper, right? What we're going to do is our protective mechanisms are going to kick into gear and they're going to tell us, okay, go out and buy that thing. The one thing that I would say that we want to be really cognizant of is the impact that this can have on people who um, have experienced some form of, let's say, trauma in their past. For people, for instance, who had really unpredictable childhoods, perhaps, or lived through uncertain circumstances, maybe of food scarcity, but also perhaps of scarcity of things like love or other essential human needs, right? What's going on in the world right now? can bring up these responses. And, you know, what some people, for instance, people who haven't had these types of experiences before might not understand as well is that this response of stocking up, for instance, even on toilet paper right now, for some people, this might actually be akin to a trauma response, right? Mm -hmm. So that's one thing to just keep in mind. But the other thing that I think can help everyone ultimately is to recognize that within psychology, we kind of almost imagine that there's two parts to the mind. We have like this survival brain, and then we have the thinking mind. So ultimately, the survival brain helps us to recognize risk and acts to keep us safe. Mm -hmm. So you might have heard of like fight, flight, freeze. They've now added fawn. So flight, fight, fight, freeze, and fawn. And fawning is essentially just kind of bowing down, doing whatever someone else wants as a way to keep yourself safe. It's an Mm. important one. But all the same, this is a survival response um, and it's an act, it it acts to protect ourselves. So something that I suggest we do or people do, for instance, is to take a step back, to examine our behaviors and responses, to kind of think to yourself, is this my survival mind kicking into gear here or is this my thinking mind? You know, if you feel calm, if you feel able to critically examine things, if you, you know, are using um, some forms of worry for good, like, you know, it's important that we have some worry. We need to wash our hands, for instance. Like, we need to stay home. Uh, Then you can be kind of more sure that you're operating somewhere in that thinking mind state. However, if you're noticing fight, flight, freeze, fawn responses coming up in you, that could look like wanting to avoid, that could look like wanting to kind of hide. Um, These things, could, can give you a lot of information about the fact that you might be closer to survival, to that uh, survival brain side of things, in which case, you know, kind of doing something that helps you to ground yourself. Um, you know, I love mindfulness exercises for this, things that kind of can refocus you on your breath, but also perhaps for some people moving your body, right? This can really help you to get back in touch with your thinking mind. I like Depending grounding. on the type of movement though, right? Like that doesn't necessarily mean a really high intensity workout that's more stress for you. <laughs> Absolutely. Such yeah. a great distinction, Casey. Yes. So I think that body movement that has a mindful component to it perhaps might be more helpful in this case, it's so important to remember that with some high intensity exercises, it can increase the body's stress response. It can make you actually feel you're in fight or flight even more than if you were to have just kind of done something a little bit more gentle with yourself, perhaps. Mm -hmm. Um, So that is a great distinction. And I'm really glad that you pointed that out. 
the other things you can do too are like grounding techniques. So things like just listing out loud, maybe five things you see in the room. This can bring you back into the present moment. And these are all really excellent ways to kind of help yourself with that stress response. Okay. That makes a lot of sense. I feel like what you're talking about also relates a lot to this sort of phenomenon I'm hearing about and a little bit experiencing in myself of old habits resurfacing right now. You know, whether it's disordered eating, these are just examples, but disordered eating or disordered relationships with exercise or substance abuse, old things that maybe we felt like we had quote unquote dealt with Mm -hmm. in therapy or, you know, had kicked those habits to the curb. And now in this new situation where so much has changed, some of these things are starting to resurface. Why might that be? Why is, why do we see that happening? The examples you gave were great. And, and I have like a very small example of something that I noticed in me that actually got me onto thinking about this in a more deep way. So I am a long-term nail biter and I actually, you know, managed to stop just this year, maybe eight months ago or something. Well, about a week into quarantine, all my nails were gone. Oh (laughs) no. (laughs) I know. And I noticed, you know, okay, so what's going on here? Like my first reaction was to really denigrate myself. It was to say like, oh, I can't believe you've gone back to nail biting. But then I realized that it actually does make perfect sense. I'm, I'm biting my nails again because I'm so uncertain. And this is a control behavior that I used to have for myself. So as much as nail biting, you know, on the hierarchy of sort of problematic behaviors is not all that high. (laughs) Um, This is a small example and it got me thinking. So for people who might be finding themselves falling back into kind of old or unhelpful behaviors, or even for people who are finding that these behaviors are amplified right now, Mm -hmm. this is a really normal response to a really unnormal set of circumstances. Ultimately, I realize that's not a word, but (laughs) Um, it fit though. It fits. It feels like it it. fits. Exactly. Yes. So the important replacements. So the things that you managed to find in life pre-COVID, perhaps that were great for replacing these unhelpful behaviors for you. This may these may have been taken away from you right now. Mm-hmm. You know, one of the things I'm hearing a lot of people say is they're really intrigued by the fact that they're noticing themselves like reaching for a glass of wine, for instance, after after the workday. Mm-hmm. And well, first of all, the why, but I think that maybe the why isn't quite so, um, I think there's a lot of answers to that question. One of the main ones I think being that kind of that, the link between work and rest is a little bit more blurred right now. Thursdays might feel closer to Saturdays, for instance, and we do tend to move, you know, as a culture, we tend to move towards alcohol to kind of mark celebrations, to mark when you're finished work, these types of things. Mm -hmm. So it's interesting because my first reaction to this, which I realize now actually came a little bit from a place of privilege, not a little bit, actually, it totally did, um, was to say that, you know what, I think this is okay. I think that um, this is a temporary response to a temporary set of circumstances in a way like COVID over, control behavior is gone. But I'm realizing, and especially because a friend of mine who is also a therapist in Toronto helped me to realize this by sending me an article I'm realizing that actually it may not be this simple and it also, that might not be quite such a safe sentiment to be giving. And the reason behind this, for instance, just take alcohol, is when the consumption of alcohol goes up, this can increase the risk of things like domestic violence. It can increase the risk of child neglect. You know, what's happening inside isolated homes where children are usually at school, they may be exposed to increased drinking. Mm -hmm. So 
On top of that as well, our judgment becomes impaired when we drink. And there's this risk too of what happens if we start to kind of ease up on this physical distancing stuff, on this social isolation Mm -hmm. stuff, right? I think though that for anyone noticing either this, right, more drinking um, or any other control behaviors, disordered eating stuff, you know, over-exercising, all of these things, it's really worth looking at more deeply. So why might my control behaviors, for instance, over food be more pronounced now? Why do I find myself drinking more in a week than normally? The best thing we can do is to continue to talk about it, right? I know that, for instance, a lot of meetings that you may have gone to before, group therapy, even AA meetings, these have all been moved over to Zoom. I know I'm a therapist, but I still want to reiterate, right, that this is not a time to stop therapy, that uh, a lot of therapists have moved online. And the other thing that I can say is, if you had replacements before, what about trying to be creative and finding new ones, attempting to find new ways of coping with the set of circumstances that we have? Yeah, I think that's so important. When you talk about the wine one, that is one Mm. that I've noticed has become much more frequent in my life. And I think for a lot of reasons, part of it is just the availability of it, I think. So I end my work day and I'm sitting at home and my case of wine is staring at me in the face and it's become a bit of a habit just to grab a glass every night. Mm -hmm. So that's an interesting one. And I like that you're talking about how it's almost not it's almost a cop-out to say, oh, well, it's just because of COVID and then it will go away. Mm -hmm. Fine. It's because of COVID and I can have Mm -hmm. compassion for myself Mm -hmm. over that and that surfacing. But Mm -hmm. that doesn't mean that it's not bringing up something important and that it's not something that I could dive into and that I stand to learn something from of like, why is this my reaction? Right? Because who knows what happens in life? You know, I experience a death of someone close to me. And then that becomes my coping mechanism as well. Well, if I build some tools right now for how I'm going to deal with that and and other strategies like you're talking about, then maybe down the road when that happens, I'll be that much better at dealing with it. Right? So exactly. Yeah. So it's still a good thing to think about, I think, not just something to dismiss. But of course, all layered in there is like the compassion for yourself and understanding that, of course, these things are coming back up. We can't be too judgmental about it. Yeah. This next one is kind of a question for me um, because this is how I'm feeling right now. So maybe I can, uh, I can get a little therapy on, on the mm-hmm. mic while everyone listens. <laughs> um, so I'm feeling like these interactions on screens are fine, but they're really just not fulfilling me very much. Mm-hmm. And so I'm noticing that my reaction is to pull back from people a little bit. Yeah. And sometimes I don't show up with as much energy on a screen as I would in normal life because it just doesn't feel like I get as much out of it. So I'm kind of like, well, why, you know, why would I show up and put in all of the effort? Yeah. Like I normally would for, for some of these interactions. So I'm hoping you can explain to me why it's so important that I don't stop. And then I don't just allow that to make me not reach out to people and continue to try to connect. Yeah. I think you and I are, have experienced this kind of in a similar way. You know, connecting over a computer is not easy. It means like far more screen time than perhaps you're used to. It's fewer body cues, like I mentioned earlier, you know, that was related to therapy, but it's true of anyone. It's true of anything, you know, over a computer. 
there's all this technology malfunctioning, you know, can you hear me? No. Okay. Who speaks first? There's so much more complexity to it than what we're used to. And I do think everyone is experiencing as well, right? Various degrees of busyness or free time for these video calls in their day. So it is important to check in with yourself around if you can take another, you know, social call that day, for instance, kind of like what I was talking about before, Mm -hmm. but here's the thing. Connection ultimately in these times, it's almost like oxygen. You know, I really like this move towards calling what we're doing physical distancing or physical isolation as opposed to social isolation or social distancing, because that really gets at the fact that, yes, we need to be far apart physically, but we do not need to be far apart socially. Mm-hmm. We know that isolation can cause depression, it can cause anxiety, and it is a fear, right, that these are some states that could be increasingly easy to fall into right now. Mm -hmm. I have been using, for whatever reason, using the metaphor of an ocean a lot lately when it comes to talking about the state that we're all in. I think maybe because the ocean holds so much unknown. It's like both vast and dark in some places, deep and treacherous, right? But it's also calm sometimes and majestic and beautiful. And a couple weeks ago, I was talking to some of my very close friends who are also happen to be business partners, very local business partners. And they were asking me about the effects that I was seeing of this. So so, it's sort of similar to this call, but I was trying to explain to them that what's happening, I think to many of us can feel a lot like floating aimlessly in an ocean, you know, whereas before I think we had each other's almost like lifeboats in a way to climb onto, we're now told that we can't even come within two meters of each other. And I use lifeboats strategically here because, you know, I think what we're starting to realize is that we didn't just meet up with our friends to have fun. If that were the case, I could call them like a party boat or like, I don't know, something, something different, right? But the thing is, is that when we did this, we, we climbed on one another's lifeboats because it made us feel better. It made us feel safer. Their life, their home even, like their space, their words, their touch, this stuff saved us. It wasn't just for fun. It was because it actually helped us. So we can still access something like this now, but it does take some getting used to and some thoughtfulness and some boundary setting, right? Like I said before, how do you want to connect? Is it over phone? Is it over FaceTime? Is it Zoom? You know, do you want to just talk? Do you want to play games? That's an option or have someone on in the background, maybe while you're cooking or playing with your kid. Mm -hmm. Um, The other questions are, do you want to set time limits or limits of who gets to come into this call and of what gets talked about? right? Like you may want to set boundaries around, I would love to talk to you today, but I can't talk about the news or I can't talk about even work, right? Mm -hmm. So recognizing what feels good for you. This is just like in our regular lives, right? If you notice that you're feeling depleted by something, then you might want to take a step back and say, is this about the fact that I'm talking to this person or is it more about how I want to set up the parameters around talking to this person Mm -hmm. or these people? Awesome. Really good things to reflect on. I think that being conscious about what can I do to set up these scenarios and these calls so that they are the most fulfilling that they can be for me. And so it doesn't just feel like more of the same kinds of interactions where, yeah, there's no endpoint and you end up talking about COVID the whole time and, you know, and that can be so draining. So I think that's great advice. Yeah. Cool. Thanks. If you're quarantined with a partner right now, That is likely, oh, can I ask first, what's your Mm. situation? What's your living situation? Yeah, so I do live with, I live with a partner. 
he's a long-term partner, but of course there's new stuff coming up because this is a very weird situation. So yeah, that's my Okay. Opinion. Okay, cool. So we're in similar situations. I'm the same. I'm living with my husband. Yeah. And that's right now our only actual human connection and interaction in the world, which mm-hmm. if you think about it, that can be a lot of pressure for that person to have to be that only human connection for you. Mm-hmm. What kind of strain can that put on relationships and how do you suggest people kind of navigate through that? Absolutely. This can be tricky. And there's a part of me also that like just quickly wants to give voice to like those people who are also living alone or who are living in unsafe or high risk situations. Um, I love this question, especially because as I mentioned, it relates to me too. And I've had to kind of navigate these waters in maybe some less flattering ways over the past few weeks. (laughs) Um, But I moved towards talking to a really close friend of mine. Her name's Erin Davidson. She's actually a sex therapist in Vancouver. Cool. And she's, yeah, and she's been putting out a lot of kind of her own strategies onto things like social media, but also the news. So with her permission, I also wanted to share some of her strategies and then kind of also provide some of my own. So what Erin says is that healthy relationships are built on a balance of both togetherness, but also separateness. <laughs> so if you, <laughs> if you recognize that within yourself, this need for more alone time, for instance, remember you did have this before all of this happened, it should be okay to take this for yourself and to state those needs to your partner. Healthy relationships are based on this. Maybe it's walking outside alone, not inviting the other person to join you all the time, stating those needs to that person. The other thing she says is that healthy relationships also have times of rupture and repair. You know, it's okay. Remember, it's okay to have conflict. This doesn't have to mean that your relationship is doomed. Another thing she says to do is invent a code word or a signal for when you're feeling things are getting kind of out of hand or away from you. So you can use this code word. She says the, the weirder the word, the better <laughs> because it <laughs> makes you really take a pause. So you could use this word and then take three breaths together. You pause and then you can ask each other in a way like, what do you need right now? Is it space? Is it time to talk? Mm-hmm. So I loved those. And then I've, I was thinking about my, some of my own suggestions too. So. I think knowing that your needs can look really different from one another's right now is super important to remember. You're still separate humans, right? You haven't just like morphed, even though it might feel a little bit like it, you haven't just suddenly like morphed together into one super, super human. So you can't expect this of yourself or your partner. You still have different needs. Mm -hmm. I think using humor right now, especially with your partner can be a really wonderful strategy. We have come up with something. It, we didn't do it on purpose, but it just kind of like happened where in the beginning I was looking at how, (laughs) this is sort of embarrassing. I was looking (laughs) at, I was looking at chore charts and how, how to encourage both partners to put in equal effort into chores. Mm -hmm. And one of the suggestions was to use a point system. Now I don't actually really agree with the idea of sticking really to a point system. I think that could be really problematic. However, what it's ended up doing is it's created this joke that we have between one another. So we're saying things like, oh, I'll do the laundry, 15 points, or right. <laughs> oh, I'll do the dishes, 10 points. We're not actually recording them. But this is really kind of a humorous way to bring the stuff in to the relationship. I've also saw this me- seen this meme going around that's basically like, you can pretend that you're working from home with a colleague that you can mutually complain about. I don't know if you've seen Yes, that. I saw <laughs> this. I love this idea. <laughs> yeah, so it's like, you know, saying like, oh, that 
Geraldine like leaving her mugs everywhere or whatever you want, right? You, know, you can come up with your own strategies based on the things going on in your own home. In a more serious note, right, like carving out your own spaces in the home, separate workspaces might be really, really important if you can. Of course, recognizing that it's Toronto for us. <laughs> you could be living in a really small space. Um, maybe that's not as important, but trying your best to keep some sense of separateness within the day. And then lastly, recalling what you enjoyed doing together before, but also what you enjoyed doing alone as best you can, continuing to stick to this. Awesome. That's really good advice. Definitely the separation is important and allowing that to be a thing and communicating about it is really key. Okay, Rebecca, I just have one final question for you. Wonderful. I would love for you to just speculate. What do you think are the best things that are going to come out of this crazy COVID-19 situation? Yeah, this is a hard one. I'm hearing like it's so mixed everywhere. And of course, I can't really know. But inevitably, things are going to change for sure. Some of the ones that I've noticed and that would bring me uh, the most joy would be that if this were to really allow for people to realize more what really matters to them. I think that what I'm noticing in myself, but in a lot of people, is that we're starting to pare back. We're starting to say, okay, maybe that thing that I used to do wasn't as important as these other things, as family, as connection, as going for a walk, sort of simple things. I think accessibility, like I was talking about right at the start, accessibility when it comes to online methods of getting things, of getting help, of getting seen by a doctor, even that's happening right now. I think perhaps a newfound appreciation for our freedom. I think that that's a a big one. I love the idea that this might be a time where people kind of reclaim rest, like a kind of widespread slowing down. I think that would be just so wonderful. And then a willingness perhaps to work together, but also to have more compassion for ourselves and for others. So many good potential things. I love those thoughts. Yeah. If people want to work with you potentially, are you accepting clients right now? I'm not. Okay, I, I wish was wondering. I was. Yeah. <laughs> okay. I'm well, not. Yeah. If people want to potentially learn more from you or find out more about the clinic that you work yeah. at, where do yeah. they go to do that? Yeah, absolutely. So I work out of a clinic called Mindful Maelstrom Wellness Clinic. And this is on Ossington Ave. And you can search that in Google. We have a website. You can read my bio, but you can also read all of the other lovely, wonderful psychotherapists' bios there too. And we have other modalities, massage and acupuncture and all sorts of stuff. I myself have a website. If you just search my name, Rebecca Barrett Wallace, you'll find that. And as much as, yes, I'm not accepting new clients right at this moment, you know, things change. And so if you are interested in learning more about me or even in learning more about what psychotherapy is, by all means, reach out to me. My email is on my website. Perfect. And I will link all of that up in the show notes for everyone. Great. Cool. Thank you so much for chatting today. This has been lovely. You're welcome. I really enjoyed it. Thanks, Casey. Thanks so much for listening to How Do You Feel? If you're enjoying what you're hearing, please subscribe to the podcast so you never miss an episode. Rate and review the podcast. Those ratings and reviews really do go a long way. I appreciate them all so much. Better yet, share the podcast with a friend or family member that you think would benefit from the messages that we talk about on how do you feel. All right, guys, thanks so much for listening. I hope everyone has a great week. And as always, remember, get out there and do something that makes you feel good today.